Good morning, Evanston Bible Fellowship. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Good morning. My name is Brady Richards, and come on, yeah. (laughs) Um, And if you know me, and many of you do, you know I am really not one for pleasantries. I I don't like small talk. I'm a little bit of a curmudgeon. You know, if if I am meeting you for the first time, my favorite thing to ask is, so who are you? Or maybe another one is, so what is your life? I, I don't know. I Obviously, I'm a little bit awkward in conversation. Um, if I like something that you're saying, I might just, you know, say, oh, shut up. Or I might just give a random noise, just mm, something like that, just, you know. Um, or if I don't like something you're saying, I'm probably going to boo you. And not just like boo, but like boo, boo, just boo. Or if I really don't like something you're saying, I might just turn and walk away and end the conversation. I, I really don't know. I think I just like how this gets people out of their normal rhythms, kind of shocks people a little bit. I don't know. But even too, though, in conversations, I can kind of zone out where people have to like, hello, are you listening? Or I might get myself worked up to the point where, you know, people have to kind of look at me and say, bruh, calm down. It's okay. Um, All that said, I'm going to try to rein this in today. I hope you appreciate that. Um, You know, if you don't know me, again, my name is Brady. I've been attending EBF for over seven years, and I've served in various ministries throughout that time. You know, we're thinking mover team, hospitality team, ethos leader, ethos host. Now I'm preaching. Come on. Started from the bottom. Started from the bottom. Now we're here, right? But most consistently and most near to my heart, I've served on the worship team and as the deacon of worship. Yeah, come on. Um, And really, serving this church over the years has been a blessing. And I don't mean that in the hashtag blessings way, like, oh, I'm so blessed, like, guys. I really don't mean that because it's been challenging. It has been challenging over the years. But the challenge has been overshadowed by the love that God has shown me and has shown me through this church. Many of you have invited me into your homes, fed me a meal, shared a laugh with me, maybe a cry, and I'm truly, truly grateful for each and every one of you here. Today, I am most honored and humbled to be able to bring to you the church I love, the word of God in Psalm 46. So, pleasantries now aside... Let's pray as we dig into the word. Almighty God, you alone are worthy of our praise and honor. We thank you for your grace and mercy this morning to even just be able to live and make it here another week. You have given us breath another day, and we thank you. We come to you today because we want to hear a word from you We do not need another word from man today. We desperately need to hear from the creator of the universe. We need you today. We ask that you increase our awareness of your spirit, open our ears to hear the truth, and open our hearts, minds, and bodies for healing, conviction, and sound teaching. Make my words an encouragement and edification to your church today. And if anything I say is incorrect, may it fall away. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to turn to your text today, our text is Psalm 46. Um, And if you don't know where that is, or if you don't have a Bible app that will tell you where that is, just ask the person next to you. We're hospitable. Come on. Right? And if you're just shy, you know, peek over their shoulder. That's fine. Um, Psalm 46, as we will see, is a hymn celebrating God's promised safety and refuge to his people. And if we go ahead and take a look at the heading of this psalm, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. It does give us a little bit of indication and information about its writing. A song obviously notes that this is going to be sung, um, and to the choir master notes that this has been given to the choicest choir director. This hymn was not to be left in the hands of some newbie worship director. So put those two together, right? Obviously, we have a song to be sung by a choir. According to Alamoth is a specific musical direction that likely notes that this hymn would be accompanied by lutes and be sung in a high key, most likely by young boys or men using their falsetto voices or women using their soprano voices. This notation should signal to us that this hymn was a little bit of an all-out effort. You know, typically when we sing in higher keys, and we do sometimes here, right, it's a little bit like we got to put our energy into it. we got to put our full body into this thing. We can think that we're cranking this thing up to 11. You know, you're driving down the highway a thousand mile distance, and you're just, you got the radio blaring, you're singing it, full-throated, right? But of most important notes in the heading is of the sons of Korah. This psalm was likely not written by King David. Um, It was likely written by the descendants of a man named Korah. At the time of writing, Korah's descendants were the singer-songwriters in David's court. But Korah himself was actually the cousin of Moses. Now, we're not going to get into the full backstory of Korah right now, but what you need to know is that Korah and Moses, they were not friends really meaning that Korah and God were not friends. Now, before we dive into the text itself, I want to give you a little structure for how we're going to look at the passage. The opening three verses of this hymn are the people's call to worship and the main thrust of this hymn. So the rest of the hymn is going to derive our points. We're going to derive the main points of the sermon today from these verses, and the rest of the hymn will simply extrapolate on the ideas present in these three verses. And we know that this is the main thrust of the hymn because the first verse, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, is essentially reworded and repeated twice throughout the hymn verse 7 and 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And we can think of these verses as the chorus of our hymn. Now bear with me a little bit more. Let's read the opening three verses, and I'm going to give you the main points of our sermon after a little explanation. So verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, in trouble. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So what is this hymn saying to God's people, right? Even as natural disasters, earthquakes, landslides, storms, and as we're going to see later, war, political upheaval are happening all around his people. His people should not fear because God is their refuge and strength, a very present help. God has got this. When the world is falling apart and going crazy, they know he is in control. I mean, come on, right? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, specifically the Lord of angel armies is on their side, is with them. Why should they fear? But here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried that you hear these first three verses and they, they just already sound trite to you. You know, with everything going on in our world today, you automatically think, yeah, Okay, Brady, that's great. God is with us, and, you know, we shouldn't fear. But that's not real life, Brady. He's not really here like he was today. He doesn't work like that anymore. Well, as we know too well from history, so many people in the nation of Israel, time and again, failed to see that God was with them like we do today. So today the big question that we're going to see Psalm 46 answer is how do we know that God is with us now? How do we know that God is with us now? Psalm 46 will answer this question by looking at three ways that God was with his people then. Three ways. God was with his people as a refuge God was with his people as a strength, and God was with his people as a very present help in trouble. I'll say it again. God was with his people as a refuge. God was with his people as a strength, and God was with his people as a very present help in trouble. So, how do we know that God is with us now? God was with his people as a refuge. Let's go back to our text. We're going to start in verses 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. And in these two verses, in just these two verses, there are three ways that God is reminding his people of his refuge, his provision, his presence, and his protection. His provision, his presence, and his protection. We see his provision. Let's look back at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The city of God being Jerusalem. And guess what? There was no river in Jerusalem. Here, river is an analogy for God's provision for his people. When his people wandered through the wilderness following Moses, right? They escaped Egypt and Moses ran them around for 40 years. God provided them food, manna from heaven, and shelter God gave his people refuge 
through provision. And after his provision in these verses, we see his presence. Look, verse 4 and 5. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God made Jerusalem the city of God, his dwelling place. The holy temple was in the city for people to come to and worship him and experience his presence. He literally tabernacled in Jerusalem. And tabernacled doesn't just mean that he was in the temple, right? This alludes to the Garden of Eden where God walked and dwelt among his people. They had access to God. So God provides his refuge to his people through his presence. And with God's presence comes protection. Look at verse 5. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So because God dwells in this city, the city of God, Jerusalem, she will not be moved but she will also not be moved because God will always be right at her side when the morning dawns. Or really, right now. God will be with her right now. And just like with King David and King Saul before him, the Lord was with his people to protect them in battle and make a way for them. So God provided his refuge for his people through his protection. So the three ways he provides his refuge for his people, his provision, his presence, and his protection. Now, you're sitting here and you're like, well, that's great, Brady. What does this refuge look like for us now, right? God provides his refuge for his people the same way to us that he did then. You know, Matthew 6 shows us that he provides provision. Matthew 6, 26 through 27. You don't have to turn there. But look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So he provides us his provision. He provides us his presence, right, via his spirit. When the Lord was getting ready to ascend into heaven, he said he would leave us a helper, his spirit. So he provides us his spirit, his presence. And he still provides us his protection today that we can hide in. And we're going to get to this in a second. But even more than all of this, right? We have the added benefit of Christ's sacrifice today. John 7 says, Jesus is saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. So if we go to him, if we come to him, if we believe in him, he provides us refuge. He is our refuge. We can hide in him. Colossians 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If we hide our identity in Christ, we will have provision beyond our need. We will experience presence beyond measure, and we will have refuge to where no one can come against us. 
when we see the world falling apart, when we see everything around us going crazy, we can try to build our own shelters. You know, maybe it's with wealth, or maybe it's personal accomplishment. Maybe it's looks, I don't got them. (laughs) Maybe it's confidence, don't got that either. Um, Or maybe it's family, maybe it's friends. These are all temporary things that will fail us if we put our ultimate hope in them. When we, when we build these shelters, we often feel that we don't need God. So how many of us right now really need God's refuge? How many of us are really desperate for it? Are we reaching out to him for refuge? When I was five years old, me and my family went to D.C. We went to go visit our cousins, you know, the Smithsonian Museums and the memorials. And one day after we were done sightseeing, we got on the train to go back to our cousin's place. And at, at some point during the train ride, we had to make a transfer because there was work being done on the tracks ahead. Now, as we were starting to make the transfer, there was a woman, and she just started to freak out. I mean, just screaming, yelling, angry. And me being five years old, I see this woman, and this makes me afraid. I run and go grab onto my father's leg. Now, the woman eventually got to her destination. But in that moment of fear, her reaction was to get angry and yell, but my reaction as a child was to reach out and run to my father. I needed his refuge in that moment. And like a child, God asks us to reach out to him in moments of fear. So how do we know that God is with us now? God was with his people as a refuge through his provision, his presence, and his protection. But even more than refuge, God was with his people as a strength. God was with his people as a strength. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. We're going to go back to verse 6 in a moment, but verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. Here, God beckons his people to draw near to him and to meditate over the ways that he has worked for them. Specifically, to meditate on the ways that he has been a strength for them through desolations and details. How he has been a strength for them through desolations and details. We see the desolations in verse 8, right? It's pretty obvious. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. God tells his people to draw close and remember how through God's promise, he has brought other nations to dust, how he has used calamity, natural disaster, and plagues, and revolts to bring the downfall of those who opposed God's people. Then, if we go back To verse 6 for a moment, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Do you remember Korah from the heading of this picture, 
picture. Psalm, um, you know, as number 16 will tell you, and we're not going to turn there, but you should go read it. Number 16, go read it. Um, Korah was a bitter man, angry at Moses and God. He gathered 250 people to oppose Moses, and in judgment, God opened up the earth to swallow them up and then sent fire to burn them. While that is a gruesome picture, we see how amazing it is that the descendants of this bitter man, Korah, a man set against God, would write a full-throated hymn celebrating God's promise of safety and refuge to his people. Korah's descendants knew firsthand that when the people groups rage, kingdoms will totter, and by the utterance of God's voice, the earth will melt. God destroyed what he was not for. He destroyed the things that got in the way of his promise to his people. And he destroyed the things that would ultimately bring harm to his people. So God was with his people as a strength through desolations. So not only, though, did he bring about broadly nations to justice, but he was in the little details of it, the little details. We can look at verse 9 and see this. Verse 9, he makes the wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns chariots with fire. This is not just happy wand-waving and poof, the calamity is over, right? To his people at this time, this was war, and he was their strength providing for every little detail to be able to prevail in battle. You know, we can think of Moses having to lift his arms, and as long as his arms were lifted, the nation would win, but when he dropped his arms, they would lose. God was with his people as a strength through the desolations and the details. Again, Brady, what what does this strength look like for us now? It's a great question. God is with us now in times of need, again, via his Holy Spirit. Through his Spirit, he breaks down and destroys the things that we are holding on to and the things that are getting in the way of his promise for us. And like Korah and the Israelites, we can either enter into this strength or run to the things of this world. And the two ways that God brings about his strength for us now, in the now, and readies us for everyday battle is through the fruit of the Spirit and the armor of God. And today we're going to talk just a little bit about the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And we see later in this passage that the armor of God includes the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness, the readiness of the gospel, the shield of faith, and more. 
But what you need to see in this passage is the command is to put them on, to put them on, to pick them up. We have to actively engage in this, right? Enlisting these things, Paul's telling us that there are things we need to put on, but he's also telling us there are things we need to put off, right? The things of this world, anger, malice, sexual immorality, slander, and more. And we see the same language in Colossians 3 and 2 Peter 1. And I know, you're sitting there thinking, oh, Brady, uh, I'm so busy. You, are you, I got to do one more thing with my life? Like, uh, yes, yes. We should be diligent <laughs> to confirm our calling. And in so doing, we are promised we will not fail. We are promised a kingdom that will not be shaken. And we are promised the Lord's strength. When the things of this world are going crazy, God wants us to work in tandem with his strength. But we so often don't. We pick up weapons of pessimism or realism or the armor of pride instead of the armor of God, instead of looking to his strength. We so often try time and time again to white-knuckle our problems. We look at ourselves, we look at our friends, we look at our families, we look at the country, we look at the world, we see the hurt, we see the sin, we see the pain, and we try our hardest to make this world a better place by force. But we don't have the strength to do it. We cannot do this on our own. We need Christ. We need his strength. Only he could take on the power of sin and death. Only God Almighty had the power to do it. And only he can give us the tools we need to put on for everyday battle. And he just calls us to have faith in his gospel. You know, when I think of this, when I think of this like putting on everyday life, right, I think of my own walk with Christ. And I've shared my testimony many times, but I walk through same-sex attraction. And if I were to listen to the ways of this world, then I'd be done. Like, like let's go, right? But the Lord calls me to set my eyes on him, to look at him, to put on the armor of God. And I could not do it. I don't have the strength to do it on my own. I need Christ every day. And only he can give me strength. When the world is going crazy, he tells us to come and behold and enter into his strength. So how do we know that God is with us now? God was with his people as a refuge And God was with his people as a strength through desolations and details. And so if his strength and refuge wasn't enough, right, God was with his people as a very present help in trouble. God was with his people as a very present help in trouble. You know, we've talked a little bit about his presence and refuge in verses 4 and 5. He was there in Jerusalem. He tabernacled with his people. So let's move on. Let's see how he was a very present help in trouble in verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this whole hymn, you know, this whole time, 
He has been well proved through his provision, his protection, the desolations, the details. But here we see that God was with his people as a very present help in trouble through his waiting. God was with his people as a very present help in trouble through his waiting. In the structure of this hymn, this moment, you know, we're driving down the highway, we got the the stereo turned up to 11 or whatever. We're singing full-throated. Well, this would have been the moment that the beat would have dropped. Hey, there we go. Um, This is the moment, the singular phrase, be still and know that I am God, would have been the resounding voice of God. This would not have been the phrase crocheted on your pillow. Not that that's a bad thing. (laughs) Or, yeah, on your Instagram profile, right? Like, this is not that moment. This would have rocked the singers and hearers of this song. Amongst the chaos, the turmoil, the fear, the sounds of the city being ravaged by war, people screaming and fleeing just to save themselves, hurricanes are coming, mountains are tumbling, the earth is swallowing up those that go against him, and like a proclaiming trumpet call, blasting through the noise, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God reminds his people that if he is their God and if he has declared that he will be exalted among the peoples and the whole world, that they can be still. They can shut up. Hello, are you listening? He wanted his people to know him. He wanted his people to trust his promise, to not freak out in the trial and be still not to worship other gods or to look to other nations. God was with his people as a present help, a very present help in trouble through his waiting. So what does God's very present help look like for us? We've we've answered this a little bit. He's here now via his spirit. He gives us his spirit to convict us, to bring songs and scriptures to mind. He speaks truth to us when we need it, and all we have to do is listen. But he's still waiting for us. He's still waiting. And in his waiting, he was planning. He was creating a lineage. Let's look at verses 7 and 11. Verses 7 or and 11. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Throughout this whole hymn, we are being pointed towards Christ. At first, God is used as Elohim, and Elohim means the mighty one. This is a general term for God. And at the time, some people would even use it as like for for just any common Lord. They would call them Elohim. But later, God is clarified to Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob. And God of Jacob specifically points to God curtailing a lineage through King David to bring Jesus as himself into the world, Emmanuel, God with us, to be the sacrifice for all. And isn't this what this whole month is about, right? We're leading up to this moment that Jesus, as God, 
comes into our world to be our salvation, to be our sacrifice. God's patience with his people through the thousands, maybe millions of years, bringing about this plan was their salvation. That through this lineage, God would fulfill his promise of Jesus. That through Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and resurrection, his people may be found righteous when they didn't have the ability to be. And isn't this the biggest trouble that our world would face? Reconciliation with God? And isn't this the most resounding way that God could have been very present in trouble? If Jesus wasn't God, how was our God very present? He didn't just set our world into motion and let go. He was here every step of the way. All he does is call his people to have faith in his gospel, to confess their sins, to repent, to turn to him and acknowledge him as Lord. And, you know, why is this important to our hymn? Why? Because is our, we have been saying it this whole time, God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our very present help in trouble. It is for the people who call on the God of Jacob, Jesus, then he is our refuge. Then he is our strength. Then he is a very present help. Do we call on Jesus' name as God, Lord, and Savior? See, I'm, I'm worried that some of us want the presence without the presence. You want the proclamation without the revelation. You want the strength without the trust in the mighty one. You want the refuge without trusting in God, our fortress. Basically, you want what comes with living a life with Christ without giving your life to him. And this whole psalm, this whole psalm leads up to this moment where God says, stop running. Stop running from my presence. Stop fearing what would happen if you stepped into my refuge and strength. And some of us are fearing this. Some of us are fearing fully trusting God because you fear that he will be who he says he is and it might hurt. He might call you to put something off that you don't want to put off. And he might be calling you to put something on you don't want to put on. And in this, you have turned inward rather than turning to God. Whoops. It is true that living this life might hurt, but it's just in the moment. And through crushing and pressing, the Lord will bring you new strength, new refuge, new hope, new help, new life, and new freedom. He is faithful to do that. So God was with his people as a strength, as a refuge, and as a very present help in trouble. When this world is in turmoil, when the things of this world are going crazy, we can know that God has got this. You know, just like when I was a child in D.C., he just asks us to run to him, to come and behold his works, to call on his name, to set our sights on him, And just like when I get myself worked up and I can't make two cents of what's going on in front of me, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the whole world.
Let's pray. Almighty God, our refuge and strength, we come to you and confess that we don't trust in you as we often should, but we praise you. We praise you for your patience with us. Lord, please continue to speak speak your truth to us. Continue to remind us of the ways that you have been faithful to us. Continue to teach us and grow us in the ways that we can walk and be in more in step with your will. And Father, when we need it, bring a trumpet call into our life and remind us to be still and know you. We need you desperately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.